Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. So glad you're with us today at C2 Church. I'm Pastor Jeremy. It's uh, great to be with you on this last Sunday of 2015. Can you believe it? Some of you are like, yeah, 2015 was horrible. Let's get on to 2016. Uh, You know, if you're like me, you're already, 2016 sort of already planned, and you're already going, 2017 is just around the corner. You're already getting the nervous fidgets for 2017. Yeah, shh, don't tell anybody, but 2017 is going to be quick, be here quick too. Well, we've been uh, going through our string of of light series the last few weeks, and we're going to conclude this morning. Did you all have a great Christmas? Some of you did. This young man got engaged, so uh, that was a good response. Congratulations, Matt. Matt's our facilities manager here at Christian Chapel, and uh, congratulations. Awesome. Uh, Brittany, congratulations (laughs) to you too. It's not all about Matt. This is the only moment that will be about him. From here on out, it will be about you. So, congratulations. Well, we're glad uh, that you were with us. Darcy and I and the kids had a great Christmas. You know, I I got a little nervous. I don't know how many of you uh, who are married get nervous when your spouse opens the gift that you got them. I had that moment because I, I went against one of the cardinal rules of manhood about buying gifts. No, I didn't buy my wife something that you plug in. <laughs> Scarier, I bought her clothes. I picked out an outfit. I know. But I had my 10-year-old daughter with me. Boom, winner. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's wisdom right there. So she picked out the outfit and I claimed it. So <laughs> the wife loved it. So we had a great Christmas. Hope you did. To, I'm excited for the new year. I'm excited for 2016 for so many different things. We've got new life groups that are going to be launching uh, coming up in February. I'm excited about what God is doing at Christian Chapel Academy, our school down the hall, preschool through eighth grade. God's doing some great things down there. I'm excited that we're heading back to El Salvador again this year, and uh, we want you to join us. Yes, you can cheer because you're going to join us, right? We took 47 people last year. Can I just tell you, trying to get flights for 47 people is difficult. But we did it. We all made it. Most of us came back. No, I'm kidding. Well, it's true because we left some people there, but they came back eventually. And that was of their own decision. We didn't make them stay. Uh, But this year we want you to come. We would love to take 40 people again this year. It's going to be a great trip, whether you are interested in the medical mission, if you're interested in our construction team, or even including uh, some agriculture this year as they're becoming self-sustaining. So if you have interest in that, of course, our our street ministry team to to kids and and the gang members out on the streets and some of the wonderful ministry with our church partners down there. So there's informational meetings coming up January 10th and 24th. Just pick one of those and and attend. We'll get you all the forms and kind of the intro information that you'll need to make that decision. So many of you are already planning on going, and so we're so excited about having you as part of the team this year. So end of commercial there. As we conclude our string of light, if you haven't been with us uh, during this series, you can get the podcast online at c2church.com. You don't necessarily need to have been here for uh, those messages to understand today's message. But as we talked about the string of light, we talked about unraveling the redemption story that sometimes in Scripture, it seems to be kind of tangled up. You're not really sure how everything fits, but if you take time, it does unravel and make one long story, one complete story. Sometimes we see the stories of the Bible maybe as disconnected and, and having little to do with each other, but it really is one long story, one string of light, the hope of God's mission to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own. 
And so we followed that through the story of Christmas. And you know, the, the story of Christmas we talked about is, really finds its meaning, its purpose, and its promise in Easter. Because Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, rose again. Because of that, Christmas has meaning. Otherwise, we're just celebrating the birth of some kid 2,000 years ago. But because of Easter, because what God accomplished through Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, Christmas has meaning. Christmas finds its purpose and its promise in Easter. It's the fulfillment of, promise, of prophecies so many years before that the string of light extends from all those prophecies even to today. We've been in the book of John, John chapter 1 specifically, where we pick up the Easter story a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke rec- and Mark, too, record the traditional Christmas story. You know, the wise men, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, and the, the journey to Bethlehem, the angels. But John's Gospel is a little different because he traces the Christmas story not necessarily from the arrival of Jesus, but on earth, but he traces it all the way back to the beginning. He uses the very same words in Genesis, in the beginning. He says, Jesus was there in the beginning, and it was through Jesus that all things were created. And that string of light stretches from the moment of creation all the way to the moment that Jesus arrives on earth. John, John's take on Christmas is a, a little bit different. John refers to Jesus as the light that is coming into the world. And then in John chapter 8, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. He who believes me will, in, in me will never walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, verse 14 of Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Hold on, back up a step, Jesus. You just said you are the light of the world. Maybe Jesus is confused. But no, Jesus says you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a a light on a lamp and, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I like the way Pastor Ben put it last week in talking about the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. He calls it a, he called it an extraterrestrial peace, something that's not of this world. Though we seek it in this world, we don't find it in anything other than the person of Jesus. And he said this last week, I thought it was good. We are strings of light to the world pointing to the cross. We each are a string of light that point to the cross of Jesus. That is our mission as followers of Christ. You know, we live in a a world desperate for the light of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I I notice it throughout my walking through the world, wherever I am, whether it's shopping or, um, you know, even Facebook. I can see the desperation in people as they, they try to reach out for hope and for light and for something greater than themselves. You know, even in the shopping season, you can see people placing their hope in what they might get or give and find that joy, find that happiness, 
Maybe this will be the thing that fixes my relationship. Maybe this will be the thing that provides some sort of lasting happiness or peace. And we just keep chasing it. We just keep chasing it. We just keep chasing it. And Jesus says to us as his followers, you are the light of the world. We are light bearers for this dark world. You bring the light of Christ into a spiritually dark world. People who are groping around in the darkness, looking for hope, looking for something. Have you ever been lost in the dark? (laughs) I have. And any kind of light, I remember, would, would, was, was a, a sign of hope for me. I remember this one time I'd gone out to a, 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 a party at a friend's house who lived out in the country. Now, I lived, up, I lived in, a, in rural Minnesota. This is the, the middle of winter. It was a clear night, snowy and cold. And I had a friend who drove with me out to this party. And uh, it didn't dawn on me that they'd give me directions and had gotten me there. And when I left, they were not with me. And so I started driving. I realized I had no idea where I was and how I, I'd get back home. So I, when I say rural, I mean rural. I mean, th- there's a, a lot of country roads and farms every like five or ten miles. And on this clear night, I was just hoping that I could find s- some place, some light on a house that they could give me directions. Kids, I know what you're thinking. Why didn't you just use your cell phone? We didn't have them. Yeah, okay, your fear just went, no cell phone, oh my God. That's exactly how I felt. And I was able to find a a farmhouse, and I stopped, and it turns out I actually knew them. It's a small town. But that light on their porch was hope for me. In In that darkness of that night, it gave me hope. And I think there are so many people in our world who are who are like that. They're just looking for light in the dark. Something to give them hope. You know, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, it wasn't whimsical. Oh, you're the light of the world. Feel good about yourself. This is missional. It's not whimsical to be thought about it as a pleasantry, but as a command and a mission. You are the light of the world. Because you follow me, because you believe in me, you now have the light in you. God's plan all along was that we, the redeemed, would become part of the redemption process. He would include us in that mission. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians, so he's writing to the church in the city of Corinth. He writes this in chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God would use us, his people, chosen and redeemed by his son Jesus in the process and ministry and mission of redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. He would make his appeal through our lives. So let me ask you, is is your life appealing? 
Does it appeal to those who are wandering in darkness? Is it that beacon of hope and light that they might find direction in you? Perhaps this morning, as we study the scripture, we might learn a little bit about how we can be the light, this light that Christ commands us to be. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. That's the first thing I I think we can do to become the light is become children of the light. I love the imagery in the New Testament, in the Gospels of adoption. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses this, uh, this imagery throughout his writings in the epistles in the New Testament. This image of adoption. That because of what Christ did, we are both are relationally and legally considered children of God. Relationally, we are connected back to God the Father through Jesus, and we have all the legal rights of a legitimate child. And if you think in earthly terms, those are the two big things of adoption. Relationally connect- connected and legally connected. And this is what God provides To us, those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ and declare followership of him, he gives us the right and the privilege to be called his children. Realize we are the only religion in the world that puts people back in right relationship with God as children. Think about that. Every other world religion depends on you to do something to get to God, to please God, to make that happen. And yet Christianity says it's not of your own strength, power, or doing, but it's because God sends Jesus. So God writes himself into the story as Jesus to fulfill the law that only God himself could fulfill anyway and brings us back into proper relationship with God the way it was in the beginning. Second Corinthians, Paul again writes in chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit whom he gave to us upon his earthly departure. That we could know the glory of God in Jesus. We could know, this is an intimacy issue. We could know the glory of God. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the scripture says that to look on the face or the glory of God meant death. No human could look at the glory or the face of God without perishing. And yet here, because of Christ, we can look directly at God. We can look upon his glory. Jesus said things like, if you see me, you see the Father. Because Jesus is the direct representation of God himself, we can look directly at Jesus and see God. And it uses the the phrase, the face of Jesus Christ. Why why the face? Because to know someone's face, to see their face, is is, personal. It's their personality. It's them. It's not just an embodiment, it's not just sort of general figure, but it's the very person of God himself. To look upon his face is to have intimacy, to know him. This is the core issue. It's not primarily a behavior issue, it's an intimacy issue. Maybe you felt yourself like you've walked in darkness, perhaps even 
today you feel like maybe you're in darkness, and I've certainly been there. I've, I've certainly felt moments where I've let the darkness creep in, where I've, I've lost my first love. I've sort of stepped away from intimacy with Jesus, letting other things creep in, even the good behaviors that Christians should do and the religious habits and traditions, and yet I've lost intimacy with Jesus. See, being the light of the world means living as a child of the light. It's primarily an intimacy, a relational thing, not a behavioral thing. And this Christmas, maybe you could see it in your own life. Our love is revealed through our deeds. I don't know if you know that, but our deeds reveal whom and what we love. Think about the gifts that you gave this year. You gave them to people you know, people you love, outside of the obligatory office gifts. I understand the white elephant gifts. You give those to people you just tolerate, right? But those gifts that were meaningful, you, they were a representation of your love. Even if it was just that much of the true love that you have for somebody, you gave them gifts, and you probably put some thought into it. Maybe. <laughs> Our deeds reveal what and whom we love. I, I'll say it this way. Love leads to deeds. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> Our love leads us to deeds that reveal that we love something or someone. So what, does, what do your deeds reveal about you? Do they reveal your great love for Jesus Christ? Do they lead others to know that that's the light of love that's living in you? The second thing I, th- I think as we let that life sh- light shine in our lives would be, be led by the light of the Holy Spirit. As we live as children of God, as children of the light, then we are led by the light of the Holy Spirit. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. This is just after Jesus' ascension from earth into heaven after his resurrection. He's left his followers, and he said to his followers, look, I must go so that the Comforter can come. I'm going to leave you, but I'm not really leaving you which had to be totally confusing for the disciples at that time. Wait, you're going, but you're not leaving? Uh, it's like a Missouri goodbye. You know, you say goodbye like three times, and it takes half an hour to actually get in the car and then leave. Jesus was saying, look, I have to go. Physically, I have to depart from the world because physically I can only be one place at one time, but when the Holy Spirit comes, my Holy Spirit, I can be everywhere at all times in all places. And the Holy Spirit of God, he would refer to as the comforter, the one who would bring us all wisdom and truth. And so here in this moment in Acts chapter 2, the believers at the time are gathered in an upper room on the day called Pentecost. It says that they experienced something supernatural as a mighty rushing wind kind of shook the room that they were in. And it says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them. What of these tongues of fire? That's kind of a weird expression. A flame that came to physically and visibly rest upon the tops of each person in that room. To you and me, it seems a little odd, and yet for these Jews, followers of Jesus, they were Jewish. 
fire always represented the physical manifestation and presence of an almighty powerful God. Their almighty powerful God, Yahweh, was represented in the flame. It would cause them to think back to their ancestors, Abraham, and the glory and the fire that he experienced. They would think about Moses, how his encounter with God in the burning bush, and how their ancestors, the children of Israel, led from captivity out of Egypt, and they were led by a pillar of fire. In this moment, it was not lost on them that they were now being led by that same fire, but in a different way. You see, that fire that had led the children of Israel led them in a very general sense. God led all the people. But here in this moment, God was changing it up a little bit. He would lead his people now in a very personal way. He would lead them by his Holy Spirit, not only as a collective called the church, but individually the Spirit of God would rest inside each and every one who believed in Jesus. We were never meant to do or live the Christian life on our own. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that God allows us or enables us to live the life that pleases Him. So it's God Himself working in us to bring glory to Him. It's not of our own strength, and certainly we partner in it. We don't sit back and go, okay, God, do your thing. We say, God, I'm partnering with your Holy Spirit. I know it's by your might and your power and your spirit. God helps us please him by his spirit and power. And so how can we be led by the spirit of God? So, Pastor, how, 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 do, how am I led by the spirit? Well, Paul addresses to the ch- church in Galatia in the book of Galatians chapter 5. He talks about this. He says it this way in verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Have you ever felt that conflict? Between what your natural senses, your natural instincts desire, but what you also know that supernaturally God wants you to do? Have you ever felt that? I don't know, maybe teenagers know that feeling more. I don't think so. I think we all know that conflict of what we want to do, what we should do, what we ought to be, and then we know kind of who we are and what we really want to do and what we're actually doing. There's this constant fight of the natural and the supernatural, of our natural instincts, and yet what God supernaturally wants us to do. And people say, well... If it feels good, do it. If, it just, if you feel like it, then it must be okay. No. That's instinct. That's animals. You do what you feel like. God doesn't call us to live naturally. He calls us to live supernaturally by his power and his leading. In verse 19 of that same passage in Galatians, Paul lists out these acts that reveal our true love of self. He says, look, the acts of this flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who are like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to list the evidence of 
the Holy Spirit living in you. He calls it the fruit. The evidence that the Spirit is causing growth and life in you, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and listen to the last one, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So there's this imagery of a walk. When I walk with the Spirit, I'm walking in the Spirit. There's a sense that I, I know what the Holy Spirit is doing because of the intimacy I have. I can walk in step with the Spirit of God. And I'll have the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit in me. I, I know sometimes in, in my small group, we made a rule that you couldn't say the phrases like, well, you know, I'm not perfect. Or, uh, you know, every, everybody makes mistakes. Have you ever found yourself saying those things? In, in our small group, we said, okay, you can't use those phrases anymore because we all know you're not perfect and we all know you make mistakes. So stop disclaiming that. But isn't that kind of, natural to us we, we we sort of give let ourselves off the hook well you know nobody's perfect we know that that's why jesus came he was perfect so don't believe the lie that nobody was perfect there was one who was perfect who created a way for you and i to live in relationship with god himself so yeah no one's perfect but that's not an excuse to give in to the natural desires of your heart that are in Complete contrast to what God desires for your life. Stop saying nobody's perfect and declare God's goodness and grace because it's about intimacy. Intimacy. Not behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. God didn't come so you could be a better version of you, that you could act better. He came so that you would have life life to the fullest, your heart would be transformed. In fact, I like what Paul the Apostle writes in, uh, to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 12, he writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now that's a New Year's resolution right there. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think one of the questions I, I hear the most uh, as a youth pastor for uh, nearly 15 years and now as a lead pastor is, what is God's will? How do I know what God's will is? How do I walk by the Spirit? I think there are some very simple things we can do. It's not easy, but it's, it's simple to understand, to walk by the Spirit. First is to know God's will has already been revealed in the Scriptures. His will has already been revealed in the Bible. So as you begin to read and study, and I understand that it's not easy sometimes. That's why getting into a small group or using Right Now Media, that those who have studied can help unpack some of the things that are in the scripture and i think there are plenty of things that are just plain as day for us to understand and the scripture promises that the holy spirit will help you understand god has already revealed his will in his word and so this year in 2016 perhaps as you look to be more intimate with god 
and become more like Jesus, that's a good place to start is the Word of God. It will tell you how to please God. It will give you the power to live the life that God is calling you to live. So His Word is one way. His people are another. When you walk in a community of faith, perhaps it's helping you to understand Scripture or how to deal with certain situations in your life. When you walk in a community of faith, you find the power that you don't find when you walk the Christian life alone. This is why God gave us the church, an intentional community of faith to to live and walk out together that which God has called us to do. It's when we worship together, it's when we, we give together, when we listen to what God is saying to us through the word together, it's powerful. Perhaps you've heard the scripture that's been quoted, I, I know as a kid growing up in church, people would always say, you know, where two or three are gathered in his name, God says he's there. I was always confused by that scripture because is God only there if two or three of us are there? Because is he like just concerned about efficiency. Hey, look, if it's just one of you, I don't even want to waste my time. So if you could get two or three of you together at one time in one place, that would save me a lot of time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Right? I mean, I think that we wouldn't verbalize it that way, but I think that's kind of how we've said it before because we like when we get together, hey, when two or three of us are gathered together. I like that, but I think it's better to understand the context of that is When two or three are gathered, it's easier to discern the presence and the will of God. Left to my own devices and maybe my own thoughts, I don't know that I could always discern what God is saying. And I might misinterpret, I might miss something that God is saying, but when there's two or three or a bunch of us together, and we can say, hey, look, I think that God is asking this of us. I think this is the scripture that's applying here. Hey, I think you might be missing this. This is why it's important that I have a board of directors. I have accountability partners. I have friends who speak life and correction to me. Do you have that in your life? The third way after his word and his people is his spirit. You ever have that moment where you just, you just know you should do something? It doesn't even really make sense. But you just, the only way you could probably describe it is you feel it. If you want to use spiritual terms and church words, you go... I felt the Spirit say to me, right? I don't know that I could ever say that I heard God speak to me, but I could say that I felt the Spirit of God. I felt this leading, this unction to do a certain thing. Matt, this summer, you stayed in El Salvador. You came to me, and and I think unbeknownst to you, I'd already been thinking. You said, hey, I'd like to stay. I feel like God is leading me to stay. And I was like, that's funny. I feel like you should stay too. I think there's some needs that you could meet with your agricultural background. It was one of those moments that you felt, you felt something. Did you hear God say something to you directly? You just, you felt it. That's the only way you could describe it, right? And, and we knew according to God's word, you weren't doing anything that violated his scripture. In fact, his scripture would talk about the compassion that you were feeling to help the ministry there. And we, we confirmed it through other people. So all three of these things kind of came into alignment this summer. And, and you stayed on for another a week or so helping them with projects in El Salvador. Again, this is not another commercial for El Salvador, but by all means, you should go next year. But this is one of those moments that you feel something and you check it against the word of God. 
Because if you, if you think, you know, oh, I feel like the Lord is calling me to, uh, to kick my dog, I, I think it's against Scripture. I, I can't verify it, but I'm just saying. But you verify it with Scripture, you confirm it with God's people, say, hey, trusted friend, pastor, I feel like God is calling me to do this. And perhaps as you walk that, the will of God is discerned. I know this about God's will in my life, that it rarely unfolds without a step of faith. It's really hard to be led by the Spirit when you're not walking. (laughs) Notice the imagery again. Walk by the Spirit, not stand still by the Spirit. You have to walk. You have to take that step. That's the scariest part, is to take that initial step. Well, God, what if it's not you? God's powerful enough to let you know that's not where you should have walked. But God's grace and mercy are not, he's not up there waiting to hit you over the head. He rewards those who diligently seek him, the scripture says. So you want to know what God's will is? Study the scripture. Walk in community with other Christians. Listen to his spirit and then take that step of faith. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.